Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. What do you think about generational differences, especially when it comes to Christianity? Today, my guest is Daniel Calcano, who serves as the pastor of Glad Tidings Church of God in Font Hill, Ontario, just west of Niagara Falls. He's the owner of MessianicNiagara.com and the associated YouTube channel, and he's had even one video get over 400,000 views. Anyhow, today he's talking to me about generations based on a sermon series he preached at his home church. And this week, we'll cover the older living generations, including the greatest generation, the silent generation, and the baby boomers. Not only will Calcano sketch out some of the key experiences and attitudes of each, but he'll also talk about how they relate to Christianity. And especially, this episode is helpful for those who are doing community, who are engaging in fellowship multi-generationally, and how interacting with people of different generations works when they bring different experiences and assumptions and attitudes to the situation. So here now is episode 442, Generational Differences, Part 1. Welcome, Daniel Calcano to Restitutio. So good to talk to you today. How are you? I'm doing well, Sean. How are you doing? Good, good. So today we're talking about generations, and you had preached a sermon series on this topic, and I had seen that and thought, wow, this looks really interesting. It's it's a fascinating subject to me. Um, I can't remember exactly when I got into thinking about it, but it, it really is helpful to interact with people who are from a different generation than I am and understand some of their assumptions. And I think most people just like, if, if they're older, they're like, oh, young people are X, th- you know, this way. Right. And if you're young, you're like, oh, old people, you know, they're, they're all this way. And it's, it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, it's not like just two generations, old people and young people. And uh, so I thought it would be really cool to have you come on here and hear a bit of an, a tour of these different generations. Uh, but before we, we get into the greatest generation and the silent generation, these older generations, uh, did you want to say anything by way of introduction about generations? You know, like what drew you yeah. to this? Right. Yeah. Like the way I come up with ideas for sermon series is, is basically I, I, I think I try to think about and pray about what's happening in our church and um, here in Fawn Hill. And, you know, one of the main areas in which we need to grow uh, as a church is uh, when it comes to young people, you know, especially uh, what we're going to talk about Generation Z, uh, those who are becoming adults or are currently teenagers. Uh, we simply just don't have a lot of a lot of those that age group in our church. And I've made the point and we've all understood that if if we don't have the next generation of, of people in our church, to take over our church, uh, we won't have a church here in Fawn Hill. And that would be a real shame because God has been working through this church since the 1840s. Uh, wow. So we, I, we, I would hate to be uh, here as a part of the last generation of uh, Glad Tidings Church of God. So that set into motion in my thinking, I want to get to know Generation Z, but I want to honor and 
the older generations, and I also want to inform the younger people that we do have, and anybody watching online, what older people have gone through. And I, I just personally, am a, I'm not a... I'm not into history other than the 20th century. I, I love history in general, I guess, but there's something about 20th century history. Maybe it's just because I was born to, to older parents and they have a connection to the first half of the 20th century. And then my older siblings are Gen Xers and I'm a millennial. And, and there's just something about the 20th century that fascinates me. So that, that also allowed me to have the opportunity to study what those generations are, the current living generations, and then also how those generations affected the church and vice versa. That's going to be a part of what, what we'll discuss today, too. Very good. And I, I think it will be helpful for us to consider, as I know you, you did in your sermon series, how does Christianity appeal to this generation? What Because Christianity is such a, a complicated and multifaceted faith, and the Bible is such a deep and complex book that uh, there are inevitably going to be some parts of it, some facets that are appealing to mm. certain generations and others that are just like not, they're not as interested in or they're, that even rub them the wrong way. So where would you like to get started with generations? The, the, the sort of uh, verse that I found that, um, and maybe we should read it in context, but I, I, I sort of just to make it easier to remember, I, I, I put it to the congregation in uh, via the New Living Translation. Uh, and it says in Psalm 78, uh, verse seven, you know, just taking this little snippet out for people to really get the point. It says each generation should set its hope anew on God. And that is a, that is a paraphrase. That's not exactly what it literally says, but it, but it sort of gets the idea of, and, and in the context of that passage and in the history of Israel, God commanded them to remember their past. And so at no point uh, is God expecting us to forget the past of our individual churches, our own pasts as individuals, you know, coming to faith at some point in the past, or the history of, of our faith. Those are all important, but it's kind of like to go with the point I said earlier, that if we don't have a new generation to take on the faith, what's going to happen? So yeah. Psalm 78, 7, each generation should set its hope anew on God. So if that's the case, we should get to know the, the next generation and try to help them to to embrace the gospel. What would you say is the oldest generation in your church? The, the interesting thing is we have everybody uh, from all current living generations. So, you know, we'll get into that, into the age groups. But the greatest generation, the one, ones that were born previous to 1927, we have you know, probably three or four, if, yeah, about three or four people who are of that age group in their late 80s, early 90s. And, you know, they weren't, I guess, young, you know, in World War II era. Uh, they weren't perhaps the ones uh, going off to war, but they certainly remembered it. And uh, so, yeah, we we have from the greatest all the way to Generation Alpha with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's so epic. You know, it, yeah. it's, so, it's so good to have a multi- generational church is so healthy you you see this very often with uh with the church plants Mm. where when a church is first starting it tends to be one generation just like that that whatever age group the pastor and the pastor's team are Uh, but as time goes on if the church is successful those people get old (laughs) (laughs) And if it's successful, young people are born and also convert and join. 
And yeah. uh, then you have multi-generations. And I think there's a real challenge with that. Right. And uh, it's a real gift as well. I remember as a boy growing up, and this was when we just had a house church. We didn't even have a brick-and-mortar church at the time. That uh, there would be older men who hmm. would take me fishing, who would just take me out and you know spend time with me as I was you know getting to be a little bit of an older kid, not quite a teenager, and then in my teen years, and uh, just like you know, I never thought anything about it. That was just normal. But looking back on it, I'm like, wow, that's really cool that I had different people from different generations that interacted with me and spoke into my life. And I yeah. think that's really a, a cool benefit of the multi-generational church. And the other thing, too, is like I have my own assumptions, and I, I just come out of the closet now. I'm Gen X. I've got all kinds of assumptions based on my childhood and my teen years in the 90s and growing up in the 80s and you know the experiences that I had. And those assumptions, guess what, other fellow Gen Xers who may be <laughs> watching or listening to this, they might not be valid anymore. The world changes yes. over time. So uh, I, I'm really excited about this. This is going to be some great yeah. content to cover. And, and that's the other thing. You, you raise an interesting thing that I came to realize throughout this series is that everybody is getting older. And there comes a point every few years that the people of a certain generation need to recognize where they are now in the spectrum or the in the timeline, if you will. Uh, you know, because I, like I said, I, I had uh, I had older siblings and they're Gen Xers, and uh, I, I'm a millennial. They sound and like I good always, people to me. Exactly. Hey, I, I love Gen <laughs> X. I think it's one of the better generations. Um, but like, I thought of myself as always the you know the youngest. Yeah. And then suddenly, no, millennials are not the youngest. No. And by the way, I, I, you know, I'm the old, I'm an older millennial anyway. So there was always that the, that younger crowd that I and and that's another thing I'd, I'd like to mention just about myself is uh, to your point of like being growing up in the church and 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 having older people that I would connect with. And like I said, I have older parents and they would always have Bible studies and prayer groups. And, and I would always connect with older people and I'm comfortable with older people. Yeah. It's just, it's been my whole life. I've always been around older people. And so I actually find it the my challenge is even under trying to understand uh, the young teens and kids now, like, yeah. you know, they're not going to be that different than us mm -hmm. or even people before us, Yeah, but they are in a, living in a different world. I would say the best people to understand, like especially teenagers, mm. are first of all obviously teenagers. But then uh, the second best would be those of us like in our forties and fifties who live with teenagers. Okay. Like I've got <laughs> two teenagers in the home, and I understand how they think in their generation so much better than I understand other generations like my parents' generation or mm. you weird millennials. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But you know, like. Yeah. When, when when your kids, you said uh, your kids are still young, right? Three right. and what's three and one and a half. Three and yeah. one, yeah. So like in in yeah. ten in ten, twelve, thirteen years, you're suddenly right. going to become an expert on whatever the slang happens to be at that time, right. whatever the popular stuff is, and you may even start eating junk food because you know what they <laughs> they gang up on you and they're like, can we stop at the fast food restaurant? And you might not have been eating that junk for, for decades. And it suddenly it's like, now you're eating it again. So there is this weird cycle that happens as our kids yeah. become teens and then go off to college that we go through. Well, it's fascinating. something to look forward to for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
Let's get started with the greatest generation. Can you give us a sketch about their lives and how they see the world? For sure. Um, and again, th these are people who are born before 1927. I just put it that way because, you know, there's... If they're uh, still alive today. Yeah, if they're still alive, yeah. then they probably were born in the 20s, something like that. Uh, the Not the current 20s, the 100 years ago 20s. Mm -hmm. And they probably remembered as young kids uh, the Great Depression of the 1930s. And so that was no small thing to go through. And then in the 40s, of course, uh, with World War II. So the, they went through a lot just in the first 20 years of their life. They're called the greatest generation because I guess Tom Brokaw, who was the, the, the NBC uh, newscaster, he called them the greatest because they were the ones who fought in World War II and won. So they I, saved I the they, world. Yeah, they, they basically saved the world. Yeah. And so they're, they get to be called the greatest because of that. So, yeah. So the silent generation is the next generation. And, um, you know, that's going to be people who were born between 1928 and 1945. And uh, that means that they did, you know, in a sense, live through, at least the older ones lived through World War II, but were not old enough to fight in it. But they, they then, and this is the important part, they then got to experience the, the, you know, the new age that came after World War II, the atomic age, as you know, people would refer to it, the reality of living in a world where superpowers had nuclear weapons that could destroy the whole world. You know, and we're still living that today, but they got to experience the shift from a relatively normal quiet life and then having to experience world war ii and then living in this new normal and with the idea of the cold war with the ussr like that was the constant fear of war you know world war three i guess but also the fear that communism would infiltrate uh, the united states and even though i'm canadian most of this is from an american perspective because I, i'm much more interested in american history than than canadian okay <laughs> well i agree i'm also more interested in <laughs> yeah. history. Uh, so these folks would be 77 years old as of the time of this recording and older right. up right. to 95 94. yeah there's probably a lot of these people still around in the world today and they are the silent generation why are they called the silent generation it's because they are the generation that really put their head down got to work because one of the main things that that defines this generation is after they got home from after the men came home from world war ii and sort of resumed their lives they wanted to have a normal life they had just gone through the worst thing that they could imagine that anybody could imagine and then came home and they wanted normalcy, right? So they got married, they had children, and they had jobs and, and get, tried to give their kids, as people will call it, the American dream, right? Give them every opportunity. And uh, this is the main thing. And like one of the resources that I read to, to get ready for this sermon series and, and for this podcast is um, a book by Hayden Shaw. It's, uh, it's about, uh, it's called Sticking Points. And it's about the current five generations that are working together and how, how you can understand them and, and uh, how they can get along. And so he's, he's talking from a you know, work-related perspective, whereas I was looking for how the generations interact in a church setting. Not all that different though, right? Yeah, yeah, because you are working together in ministry. And so again, the, the people in this silent generation, 
they had the mindset of let's just you know I guess I guess think of this think of Ward and June Cleaver from Leave It to Beaver that's those are the that's the the silent generation they were raising um, the next generation in the fifties and and so on and into the sixties and they caused the baby boom <laughs> so maybe we should talk about the baby boom <laughs> okay so the uh, silent generation then are the stereotypical parents of boomers. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That helps me because uh, yeah. I have some exposure to that that whole world. And so these are like my grandparents' generation yeah. and other Gen Xs and millennials maybe have grandparents in this category as well. Right. Um, and they, what, what are their values? Strong work ethic. Okay. Um, taking responsibility. The other area that that they strongly value is traditional roles, morals, you know, doing the right thing because that's what their parents did and that's what they did uh, going to war for the, for their country and then coming home and the man took over the, the role of breadwinner and the, the mom stayed home and the kids respected their parents. That's what they expected at least. Didn't quite work out that way with their kids, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. But that's what they expected. That's so funny in a kind of tragic way. You know, what they really wanted was normalcy because they had heard stories of at least or maybe even had lived through just the whole world falling apart and the whole world getting to a place where like huge numbers of people were dying, millions in World War II. And they're just like, you know what? Having a simple life and doing the basics is... That's the good life. And, yeah. you know, but then their kids are just like, we don't want that. <laughs> they're just like, I don't want all these restrictions and stereotypes. I want yeah. to be free. And yeah. uh, we got the sexual revolution of the 1960s from that. So maybe right. that's a good point to transition to the baby boomers a little bit. And then we can circle back and look at these three generations and how Christianity appeals to them. And, right. uh, just kind of look at them together. So For yeah, sure. let's let's go there. Let's talk about the boomers. There you go, the OK boomer or, or whatever people say nowadays. Uh, but that generation is uh, referring to people who were born in the um, what would you say in the fifties. What you have to understand is, as we already alluded to, like people, came, uh, the men came home from war, World War II, wanted to raise families, and boy did they! Like they they just had a lot of kids. And so just like, and they're called baby boomers or the baby boom, because it's an economic term, I guess, of, of, of the of boom and bust. You know, you have the, the things exploding and then uh, in terms of popularity. But well, in this case, it's, it's uh, the explosion of the birth rate. They were born between 46 and 64, and they're now in their 60s and 70s. So they're, this is the age group that lived through all of the, what I call the culture shifts of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Mm-hmm. Because every one of those decades had an unimaginable impact on at least American culture. Um, and we'll get into that. But they lived through that, and they were the cause of some of that. But now they're reaching you know, senior citizen age. And in my opinion, I think that there's, there's a real the need for them to shift their understanding of what you know, how old they are, just like each of us has to understand we're all getting older, 
right? Yeah, so these are people that are in their late 50s, early 60s, all the way into their 70s, like right. the first half of their 70s right now. So yeah. mostly at this point, 60s and 70s, although you yeah. have a couple of younger ones there in the late 50s uh, who might have been born in 1964. To be a boomer is to be what? What, what are these people, what shapes them? Right. What do they have in common with each other? Right. What would you say? And one thing we have to point out is because that is quite, that's almost 20 years of, of uh, an age range, right? So there, were, there was a, a first wave and a second wave of baby boomers. And with all of these generations, like there, it is sort of arbitrary which years are, are picked to represent those generations. So you have to imagine that every, every generation, if you're born towards the end of it, you're gonna, there's gonna be overlap there. Or in my case, for example, uh, I'm an older millennial, but I, but I was born very close to, to Gen Xers, uh, both both in terms of my birth year, but also literally having older Gen Xers as as siblings, and um, so there's overlap. I identify with Gen X. So going back to this, you know, there are going to be baby boomers who are younger who might identify more with Gen X, but the the, the key issue. Uh, for baby boomers, especially the older ones, is as we said, their parents, the greatest generation, wanted to give them, the, or rather, the silent generation was their parents. They wanted to give their kids, the baby boomers, everything, and they expected their kids to be grateful for what they were giving them. Yeah, right. And the very opposite happened. Uh, the kids rejected that lifestyle. Exactly to your point of, they perceived restrictions being placed upon them their own their own freedom and that's just human nature we don't like when uh, we you know we've all gone through this over the past couple of years we don't like it when there are restrictions placed upon our freedom and that's what baby boomers felt that their parents were saying you know we'll give you all you need to survive but you have to follow our rules we can give you a great life but you have to follow our rules and they didn't want to do that yeah I see this phenomenon very much in our world today where having lived through a number of these wars in the uh, 90s, early 2000s, right. uh, the war, the first one with Iraq, uh, right. then we had the second one, then we had Afghanistan. During those years, the especially like in the W. Bush years, George W. Bush, is incredible the solidarity Mm. that Americans had with each other. And uh, it was incredible how much discontent there has been over the last several years, right. uh, certainly the Trump years, uh, but even at the tail end of the Obama years, there's just been cr increasingly polarization and conflict. I, I hate to say this, but like, there's a strong correlation between America having peace and prosperity mm. And then, like, America fighting with America over different issues that they just seem to, like, conjure up out of nowhere. And right. the I remember watching one of these uh, State of the Union addresses that we had during uh, Trump and just, like, the absolute rancor among mm -hmm. the opposing political party. And yeah. then our most yeah. recent one, everyone <laughs> is standing shoulder to shoulder. Why? Well, Russia just attacked Ukraine. And yeah. so... Now everyone is going to stand shoulder to shoulder and put aside differences. And 
you know, I think that's a horrible thing about human nature or, mm-hmm. you know, the way people just are is that when we feel threatened, then we work together. And when we don't, we find right. ways to nitpick at each other. It's like being a kid in the back of the minivan for a six hour road trip. Like you never noticed that freckle on your brother's nose before, but now that's all you can focus on and like make fun <laughs> of. And right. he never noticed your bad breath until you were sitting right next to him. And, right. uh, you know, you, you fight like cats and dogs because there's nothing to do, right? There's no right. extra. But as, as soon as a bully comes in, you're, you stand together and you're like, that's my brother and I'll die for him, you know? Yeah. And there's yeah. something weird, something to be said about that. And the boomers just had a lot of stability as children. Right. right. And then it's interesting, though, when war did come for them in the mm. shape of uh, Vietnam, it did not galvanize. Not at all. Like the war of Vietnam became this huge controversy and you had all these protests. So that's really different about that generation. Yeah, Yeah. I I think um, what you're saying about how there was there was a unity. I I think when, when faced with war, there is a certain degree of unity that comes into the culture and and I think, you know, there, there's obviously, you know, p- perhaps you would say biological reasons for that. You know, we are the descendants of those people who, who, <laughs> when adversity came, c- came together and fought it off and survived and, and you know, were able to, to have children and so on. So that is, that makes sense that that happens. But I think part of it has to be like to the point, uh, to your point about the Vietnam War and how the baby boomers did not unite mm-hmm. against that. There has to be something convincing to fight against, if that makes sense. Like, world, the Nazis and, you know, and Japan trying to take over the world. Yeah, I think that makes sense. We should fight against that. But trying to fight one uh, for one half of a civil war in Vietnam, that is perhaps not uh, an issue that people wanted to put their, give up their lives for. Yeah. And I, quite frankly, that's what I saw especially as a, an outsider, so to speak, here in Canada, we we did not take part in the second Iraq war in 2003. And so we, from an outsider, I, I saw the people who were against it and were like, yeah, well, what are we even doing in that country? You know, mm-hmm. there's lots of bad people in the world that, that might have nuclear weapons or weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. So why why are they there? Why did they, why did they invade? Yeah. And it's quite... And, and then know, they didn't to, even have them. And they didn't even have them, exactly. So the whole pretense for the war was uh, totally disproved. And then it's not like America said, oh, oops. (laughs) Oops. They're like, no, we're here. So now we're going to totally replace the government. And, you know, not to get too political, but it seems like that's part of how ISIS got going was, you know, American meddling, you know, in in Iraqi affairs. I'm speaking as a Gen Xer, seeing these things. Right. And we'll get to my generation in a minute, I'm sure. But like, we have a profound sense of skepticism towards the government. <laughs> exactly. Like, we just like no, don't that, like if they're saying it, that's evidence to not believe it. You know, which right. I don't. I don't know if the we just inherited that from the boomers, but they definitely got that party started. As far as like, you know what, the government right. is flawed and it needs to be challenged. And they did that right. with their hippies. They did that with their Vietnam protests. They did that all throughout their, you know, young adult years, standing up, speaking truth to power in you right. know, courageous and sometimes foolish ways, uh, but uh, really blazed that trail for later generations to do that as well. 
yeah, they, they were against, I guess, any kind of authority. And I, I think that the, the key that those of us who are in the later generations need to learn their, learn the lesson that they gave us, which is be skeptical of authority, but, but if it's legitimate authority and it's uh, moral authority, like a legitimate moral authority, then then you shouldn't reject that. So, so yeah, we inherited a distrust of the government because of their distrust of authority. But hopefully, we as you know younger people, younger than them at least, can have that balance in our lives okay. of distrusting bad authority, but you know submitting to good authority. Yeah, and I think the question you ask any boomer is, where were you when JFK was assassinated? And they're right. just like, boom, they know right where they were. People in my generation, it's like, where were you when 9-11 happened? Exactly. Um, and, you know, each generation has its own unique crisis. Not that other generations right. aren't there as well. It's just certain ones will, like, be shared and burn into the group, the generational consciousness stronger. Um, yeah. And that, for for boomers, I think had a profound impact yes. on them that a president could get just killed it was the pivotal moment because it wasn't just any president right like jfk was young charismatic and inspiring you know like he, even though he was a democrat I, I my sense is that he inspired people on both sides and that sort of thing the assassination of jfk completely changed like the the baby boomers may have gone with what their parents wanted uh and, and follow the rules and be good you know good little boys and girls but that sort of um shattered their what's the expression like it shattered their illusions i guess yeah. if that's the right expression right it showed that no bad things can really happen and then things just continued to uh, you know to get worse in terms of other people like like martin luther king jr getting assassinated and robert kennedy getting assassinated those further it, it basically instilled within them uh, that sort of cynicism, right? Yeah. I tell you, the movie that really helped me understand my parents was mm. Forrest Gump. Yes. When I saw that movie, I was like, oh, so yeah. that's what these people are all, that's where they're coming from. And of course, the movie's totally right. fictional, but it, it weaves a, a narrative through all right. these big events, like the landing on the moon and yeah. Vietnam and entrepreneurial Bubba Gump and the fish and like how, how you can end up with these like really wealthy entrepreneurs, you know, yeah. and they introduce Apple at the end of right. it. So, so much of it was fascinating to see the world as if I was seeing it through their eyes when they were younger. Right. And that's what that movie really did. And I remember my parents saying that they really enjoyed the movie too, because it was like, oh yeah, yeah, these, there's always like nostalgia happening for them. Yeah. And for me, it's not nostalgia. It's like educational. Like, right. whoa, okay, so that's what that's that's what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and so you do have movies that come along and, and try to do this to sort of like unveil that mindset. And I thought that one was pretty helpful. I don't want to downplay the '90s and 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 you know everything that's happened since then. But there's something really fascinating about the '60s, '70s, and yeah. '80s. Yeah. The baby boomers had their the. the the, the turbulent 60s is what I like to call it. Like there was so much hope on the one hand with having JFK as president and having the space race and, you know, and getting, landing a man on the moon and all that stuff. But then all of the terrible things that happened, which led into the Vietnam War and the 70s becoming a time of like 
I don't know, you know, hippies and that sort of thing, like just trying to find yourself. Like, I don't know if they knew what they were looking for. And and we'll get into that in a moment. Like, I think the main thing that we as Christians need to uh, be thinking about in terms of these generations is that every generation is looking for something deeper. Yeah. You know, every generation is looking for something to fill the void. And boy, did the uh, did the baby boomers try everything to find (laughs) (laughs) to fill that void. Right. Yeah. So uh, let's ask the question then, because uh, we'll, we'll, we can come back to looking at the uh, the younger generations in our next episode. But uh, right. let's ask the question about how does Christianity appeal to these three generations, to the right. silent generation or the greatest generation, the silent generation and the boomers? I would imagine having heard a little bit about the silent generation and the, you know their their search for the good life in stability that a lot of Christian ethics would be really appealing to them. Like love your neighbor as yourself, you know, just kind of like the bread and butter basics of a well-functioning society, you know, trusting authority, doing to others as you would have them do unto you. These kind, these kinds of statements that we find in the Bible. What about that older generation though? What, what do you think would appeal to them? The greatest generation well, I, I think that uh, for for the very older oldest ones that are still among us, and as a pastor of a church that has people of that age group, I, I have to be mindful of what church meant to them in their lives and what it still means to them. Uh, for them, it's 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 not going to be too different than even the, what the silent generation went through and, and and appreciated about church, which was the moral stability that that it gives all of us. It gives us a moral foundation to live our lives by and in a sense of community. And um, certainly nostalgia is going to be a part of every generation's experience. So they really love singing the, the classic hymns and hearing a good sermon. And so for them, sort of the, the model that most churches still continue to hold on to of singing songs and, and preaching sermons, they that to them is a comfort. Like they, they really, especially if... You know, we, we sing contemporary songs at our church. We sing songs that were just written uh, or songs that were written 20 years ago, or we every so often we'll do a classic hymn too. And you just see you just see the, the smile on, on their faces, right? So Yeah, like great is thy faithfulness or something like that, or how exactly. great thou art. Yeah. Yeah. We, we do have uh, some, some at this church, uh, Living Hope, where I, where I pastor, we do sing some classic hymns from time to time too. And uh, yeah, I, I've definitely yeah. seen people light up. I remember going to a Church of God event. I think it was Christian Worker Seminar, and this was like over a decade ago, maybe even more. And uh, they were introducing some contemporary music and the guitar, and right, and and like uh, for those of you who don't know, Christian Worker Seminar, at least in those days, was like the kind of event that my baby boomer dad, when he first went to it, he was like, "I love this event. It made me feel right. so young." Because <laughs> everyone was from the, the older generations yeah. at it, and uh, I'm sure that like changes with time, of course. But nobody was singing along to like the contemporary <laughs> right. Christian music. There were like right. five people in the audience singing, and then here's here's uh, Aaron Winner. I don't know if you know him. Right. Yeah, incredibly talented musician. He's up there like strumming his guitar. He's so into it. He's just got such a great voice and he's singing music that I like yeah. and I'm just like oh this is so great like nobody's singing some lady comes out and uh, sits at a piano or a keyboard and just 
strikes up some chords from some old hymn that I had like never even heard of, and the room just went yeah. nuts. And they like the <laughs> volume, like I right. like my ears hurt. They were all singing so loud, just belting it out and singing yeah. these hymns. And it was like, okay, you guys, all right, you voted with your voices. <laughs> like, right. It's pretty clear what you want here. We could have had this whole discussion just literally just be about music and yeah. the different generations yeah. and how that relates to the church because I don't think we can underestimate the impact that uh, I guess Elvis and the Beatles and a lot of these pop acts from the 50s and 60s, how anybody who was young in the 50s and 60s and on are completely totally fine with let's say rock music or pop yeah. rock or whatever. Right. And we wouldn't think twice. Of They're course not skeptical we're sing. about it at all. Yeah, yeah. But everybody who lived before them, especially if they were traditional, you know, born, born and raised in church, they are going to be skeptical of that kind of music. And that was some of the battles that, that I remember even attending a Pentecostal church growing up, mm-hmm. that even that was a struggle. You know, we're supposed to be like the, the, the free, wild... Christians, and that was a transition for the church I grew up in, and it was a tra- it was it was a hard transition here at this church as well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what else about Christianity appeals to these older generations, and that's important to talk about here? Well, I I, I don't know if there's anything further. Like, I think just to restate, like they embraced Christianity because of, I I guess, to use this word again, the stability that it brought, because that's what they were looking for. They viewed Christianity as as a moral system, and that's the way it should have been treated. And so when they gave that to their children, the baby boomers, they weren't interested in that. Yeah, I would say too, uh, for Greatest and Silent, there's probably more identity in the brand as far as denominational pride. Uh, yeah. Whereas, like, by the time I came along, most denominations in my area are covert. Like, mm. they do not put that they are secretly Baptists right. <laughs> on their church signs. And yet they are. If you look at their website, the way you, the right. way you find out is you look at what school <laughs> they went to. And right. if it's a Southern Baptist <laughs> Theological Seminary, they're, they're just like missionary-minded Baptists in the North. Right. You know, in the North. But whereas... The older generations were, were very like proud of like I am Church of God or I am a right. Methodist or I am a Baptist right. and and that's my that's my team you know like people have um, allegiance to sports teams you right. know that same sort of thing with respect to their denomination and you don't see that as much after really the boomers right no that's true my parents even though they were technically born at the very end of the of the silent generation probably were can more so be understood as older baby boomers mm-hmm. and my wife's parents are older baby boomers and i i, I kind of got a sense from my own experience and just what i've learned about people of that age group is they were looking for something more than what their parents were giving them and that was true on on, on multiple levels but especially when it came to christianity they rejected institutional christianity mm-hmm. if you want to call it that and wanted some, this is where probably the expression that we hopefully have heard of, it's not a religion, it's a relationship, uh, if you've heard that expression before, probably came from the baby boomers because that's what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. And there was all these kinds of, uh, uh, if the rise of the televangelists in the 70s and 80s, seeker-sensitive movements where 
They were trying to appeal to what the baby boomers wanted culturally. And, and again, that's the beginning of the shift of music uh, in church being not just a piano and the organ or whatever, but, you know, full band and, and contemporary songs. You said in your sermon series, boomers grew up believing that the world was theirs for the taking. Uh, and I think that was a quote from the book you mentioned before, Sticking Points. Uh, what do you mean by that as far as Christianity goes? In relationship to history, we can see that they wanted, you know, as I, as I mentioned in, in, in this series, you know, they tried to find something deeper in their lives and they tried to look to civil rights. They tried to look to it being anti-war and all these things. And hey, that's good. I think everybody should be equal and I think we shouldn't be at war. But um, you're not going to find what what really fills you up inside in those things that can only come from God. And so the world was theirs for the taking and they tried to make a difference yeah. as you know as best that they could see. I, I just wonder if they if they didn't if, if perhaps they had focused their energy on connecting with God and you know building a society that's based on that, how much better off everybody would be, including them. But you know, that's not how history went. Yeah, it seems like since they believed the world was theirs for the taking, I think when I think of that, I think of being emboldened to change the world. Yes, right. And that's what they did. They really they changed yeah. everything. Yeah, some they for changed, the better and some not so good. Yeah, they changed yeah. the music. They changed, you know, sexual ethics. They changed how people looked at marijuana. They changed the church in profound ways. You know, going away from the pews to chairs, getting, you know, these like beach churches in California where a lot of these movements got, like the vineyard movement got got to start, or even the Way International really tapped into a lot of that California energy. And, uh, you know, there was this sense of like, let's remake everything and make it better and not settle for what my grandparents gave us. But now, that's when they were young, (laughs) but now... It's the opposite. Now they are the grandparents. And now That's they're saying, I, yeah. you know, why Why do we have to learn another new song, Pastor Dan? You know, like, we already had 500 songs. Like, why right. do we need 500? What's wrong with, uh, you know, these, these good Jesus songs from the 80s? You know, like, why right. do we right. need Hillsong or Bethel or any of these newfangled, you know, highly repetitive songs that, you know, don't speak to me? So what do you think about all that? Yeah, that's well, I I alluded to that earlier in the sense that every generation has to reach a point where they realize that they've now become older, obviously. And but but where they thought they were in the in the timeline of generations, they're actually older, uh, you know, further along. So so baby boomers uh, to like what you're saying that they're now getting up there and becoming the the elder statesmen of, of the church. And that they should be respected and we should throw them a bone every once in a while. I definitely think that, but, (laughs) but just like, just like they wanted to experience church in such a way where they could identify with it and relate to it. I think the same thing is true of, of younger people. And in fact, that's what we're trying to do with the very younger generations, Gen Z and, and younger is we can't give them church the way my parents or even how I experienced growing up because quite frankly that's not going to relate they're not going to relate to that they're not going to identify with that if it was good enough for them it's good enough it was good enough for us and it's good enough for our kids yeah. right 
And I, I think too, listening to older generations is really helpful for me as a pastor, for you as a pastor, for other leaders, uh, that we don't just write them off and say, hmm. what do they know? Well, they know a lot. Exactly. You know, they've been yeah. through a lot. They've seen a lot. And uh, they have wisdom. Right. And so it's really so important to, I'm talking, I'm trying to preach to myself here too, uh, <laughs> that, that we all listen and not just write them off and say, I mean, this is a terrible expression, okay, boomer. Right. You know, it's just a, a way to trivialize and reject any kind of wisdom that people in that, you know, it's, it's a form of discrimination. You know, yeah. our world is obsessed with racism right now. Well, it's, it's generational racism. Against ageist. a whole, yeah, it's ages. Like a whole, a whole yeah. group of people, you're going to stereotype and dismiss. Right. Well, that's the very thing you're trying to fight. So it doesn't make any sense to use that against others. And I, I think boomers have a lot to share, a lot of wisdom. Their relentless desire for like true connection over institutional Christianity. I think that's really something that is important for us not to lose. Right. We don't want to get calcified into, well, this program works, so we're just going to keep doing it. A boomer's going to come along and be like, yeah, but do you have a relationship with God? Like, do you actually talk to him? Do you right. actually spend time? Like, when you sing the songs, is it just a performance, or are you really connecting? And I, I think that they, they bring that prejudice, like good prejudice to the table right. of, like, always asking those kinds of questions about the heart, which are, I yeah. think are so important, and we don't want to lose yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's possible that we could lose it, but I would say that they changed the church. I, I, again, I'm only speaking from pro, at least Protestant churches, and especially the churches that I am more familiar with. But I think they they changed the church for good. Uh, like that that has now become like totally expected that you would, of course, you would be searching for something to have a personal connection with God. Like, it's not just about the religion, but it's about something personal as well. We should be grateful for that. In fact, when, when I did the sermon about uh, the baby boomers, I took the time at the end of the service just to, to thank them and pray for them and say, you know, let's not have the attitude of okay, boomer. Let's, you know, they, they have to be uh, malleable. They have to be willing to change uh, the baby boomers at, at this point in their lives, I think, in order for us to have to work towards reaching the next generation. But... I do think that we should be grateful towards them as well. Yeah. Well, we're just about out of time for this episode. Uh, what else uh, should we say about the boomers or about these older generations with respect to Christianity? They need to be respected, but at the same time, I, my hope is that baby boomers will uh, make a smooth transition into the, uh, the elder statesman role. Yeah. And uh, as they pursued freedom relentlessly and then gave their children more freedom, they probably thought, oh, well, our children will just value the same things we value. Yeah, right, right. Did that happen? No, not at all. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and here's the thing, and here's a little uh, you know, preview for next episode. The baby boomers uh, did the same thing and, and tried to give their, their children freedom and in a sense expected them to be accepted and embraced. And Gen X uh, did the same thing that the baby boomers did. They rejected their parents to a degree and uh, went a different direction. Yeah. All right. Well, that uh, that's it for today. Thanks for this insight. You know, this fascinating subject. 
very few people are talking about it. When the millennials, like somebody finally w- labeled you guys right. and uh, books started coming out about you guys, like everyone was like obsessed with the millennials in Christian ministry at least. And yeah. uh, I, re- I read a book about you guys uh, a while back and uh, I was like, oh, you know, it's fascinating. And then like, then it was over. And so I think this yeah. is, but you know, it is important to consider these older generations too. And next time we'll look at, Gen X, uh, which you know I think is mislabeled, it should be called the Greatest Generation, uh, but right. that's just my prejudice. And then um, the Millennials, and uh, then we'll go through the other letters of the alphabet until we get right. to the young ones today. So thanks so much right. for your time on this, Daniel. My pleasure. Thanks, John. Well, we're going to have to pause our conversation here for this week and come back next week to look at Generation X, Millennials, and Generation Z. So... Stay tuned for that. If you'd like to make any comments or ask any questions, come on over to restitudio.org and find episode 442, Generational Differences, Part 1, and leave your feedback there. Also wanted to let you know that we have another few episodes with Pastor Calcano on Restitudio, so you could search his name or I have a link in the show notes, but the one in particular from Pentecostal to Messianic Unitarian, did receive a ton of downloads in its time. So take a listen to that if you haven't already. It's a fascinating story. Well, last week we had an episode called Tribalism in Times Like These. This was a a sermon I preached in 2020 in the thick of, I don't know, probably the most polarized year of my life. That was because it was such a polarizing time in which to live, and uh, I was just seeing this incredible tendency on social media of various types where people were just choosing sides on every single issue, and there are these packages where if you believe this, you have to believe that, and it was getting so heated and just really so tribal that uh, I felt like it was really important to address this as far as we Christians are concerned. Uh, Obviously, we cannot change how people outside the church are going to live. We can't call them to be faithful to Scripture. Uh, But we certainly can call our brothers and sisters to be faithful to Scripture. And uh, to not allow secondary differences to become reasons for division among ourselves. Like, for example, politics, wearing a mask, getting a vaccine, supporting this or that cause, and so on and so forth. So... Essentially, the point of that sermon was that if you're a Christian, Christ is first, and even if somebody has different views than you within the church, you need to make those secondary and put Christ before that. Maybe I overstated that case a little bit because Jim Winchester wrote in saying, I believe to cover the topic completely, one must ultimately address the scriptural passages which are used, sometimes legitimately, to form barriers within the church. Those that admonish regarding those that walk disorderly, cause divisions and, and offenses, etc., covering this uncomfortable topic in particular, enumerating the various pitfalls and abuses in their application when necessary, could help the church avoid unnecessary schism while also protecting the church from the polluting influence of genuinely ungodly company. Please consider adding such a follow-on discussion to your input stack of future topics. Well, Jim, that's a great suggestion. 
there certainly are a number of texts, very significant texts in the New Testament, that do counsel what we call church discipline. And this is where someone is confronted and called to repent of their sins, and then eventually, because of their unwillingness to change their lifestyle, cast out of the church until they do change. And uh, this is always an unpleasant experience. I can tell you from 17 years in ministry that uh, it is, uh, it's always difficult, and, there, and it always causes a controversy because there are always people who believe that anything goes, and that's just a, a common belief that a lot of people have, and uh, yet Scripture is clear for certain things that there is cause for church discipline, and yet it's easy to do it too harshly, it's easy to do it too quickly, and that is a struggle that every pastor and every group of elders has to figure out, but especially when it comes to protecting the people of God, the congregation, from someone who is in some way trying to hurt them or bring sin into the situation, this is something that is that is important. Uh, so thanks for bringing that up, Jim. I don't think this defeats what I said about tribalism. Uh, I don't think it's being tribal to call people to sanctification and then enforce what the scriptures say when somebody just refuses to be humble to to be humble to that. Um, but I do think it is an important subject, and I, I would like to talk about it. I would like to interview somebody about that. So if anyone has a suggestion on someone has research on church discipline, I would be very interested in doing that interview. I will say that I came across the topic in Rosaria Butterfield's book and really enjoyed her treatment. In her original book, she talked about it a little bit. Um, what was that? The, uh, the Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Not, not the greatest book in the world, but her, her other book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, is seriously one of the best books I've ever read in my entire life. Like, if you haven't read it, you just need to buy it and read it now. It's a book about evangelism through hospitality, where you invite your neighbors over to eat dinner, and you, and, and you talk to them, and you spend time with them. It's so simple, and yet I think it's so powerful. Anyhow, in that book, she does talk about church discipline, Again, her husband's a pastor, and uh, there are times where people get caught in sin and they need to be confronted, and it is a very difficult thing. But if you don't do it, then anything goes, and you're, you slowly degenerate into the Corinthian church that received so much rebuke from the Apostle Paul, including one case where an unrepentant sexual sinner was cast out. So anyhow, uh, take a look at her treatment. I thought it was pretty good, although it's not extensive, as extensive as one might like. But uh, yeah, if any of you have recommendations on this, would love to uh, see other books on it and some other thoughts on it, come on over to episode 441, Tribalism in Times Like These, and leave your comment there and suggestions there. Thanks so much, Jim, for making that comment. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to support Restitutio, you can do that at our website, restitutio.org. We'll see you next time, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.